The opinions and viewpoints expressed in .NET Rocks are not necessarily those of its sponsors or of Microsoft Corporation, its partners, or employees. .NET Rocks is a production of Franklin's Net, which is solely responsible for its content. Franklin's Net, training developers to work smarter. Hey, Rockheads, put a little silver in your light and listen up. It's time for another stellar episode of .NET Rocks, the internet audio talk show for .NET developers with Carl Franklin and Richard Campbell. This is Lawrence Ryan announcing show number 302 with guest Jeff Proceis, recorded live Saturday, December 22nd, 2007. .NET Rocks is brought to you by Franklin's Net training developers to work smarter, and now offering SharePoint 2007 video training with Sahil Malik on DVD, DNR TV style. Order your copy now at www.franklins.net. Support is also provided by Telerik, combining the best in Windows forms and ASP.NET controls with first-class customer service online at www.telerik.com. And by Code Magazine, the leading independent magazine for .NET developers. Online at www.code-magazine.com. And now, the man who's decided his New Year's resolution will be 2560 by 1600, Carl Franklin. Thank you very much, and welcome back to .NET Rocks. Carl Franklin here in this holiday season with my friend and partner, compadre, et cetera, et cetera, Mr. Richard Campbell. Merry Christmas to you, sir. I really enjoyed that uh, our, our interview, um, show number 300. If you haven't heard it, go check it out. Lots of geeky stories, and uh, Richard tells all. I'm a geeky guy. Yeah, you are. <laughs> so, uh, hope everybody's having a nice holiday season. It's the end of the year. We're sort of wrapping up and winding down a little bit, and glad you could just come and chill out with us for an hour. We're going to have Jeff on in just a minute, but before that, let's get to Better Know a Framework. All right, sir. What do you got? Well, I'm talking about the Speech SDK oh. right now, the Speech API. Cool. And uh, I I really love that the whole idea of speech synthesis and speech recognition and stuff. It's something I'm really, really interested in, but unfortunately, it's one of those things that you sort of have to glean a lot of information just to get some basic stuff done. Well, I'm here to tell you that the uh, system.speech.synthesis namespace in system.speech is your friend. It is very easy to uh, just get some simple speech stuff using the built-in voices uh, that come with Windows. You don't really have to buy any sort of um, speech codecs just to get, just to get started. You can use the stuff that comes with it. Sample apps are really, really easy. And uh, just about everything you need to know is in system.speech.synthesis. So uh, I've taken a look at it. I've done a couple of sample apps, and, and it looks pretty simple. I'm going to dive into it a little more and, 
encourage you to do the same. Cool. All right, Richard. Email time. I got an email for you. And uh, from a repeat customer, Julian Biddle. I remember Julian Biddle. Yeah, and he actually sent this letter to you. He said, hi, Carl. As I mentioned to you before, you and I have similar backgrounds in software development. Dear to your heart and mine is VB.net and WinForms. Lately, I've been doing a lot of WPF, but have discovered an interesting little fact about XAML and WinForms. I know you haven't had time to research XAML, which could be said of most of the WinForms community. An interesting experiment I've done recently has helped me understand the true nature of XAML. Basically, I've discovered that it's possible to write WinForms in XAML. I'm not sure if this is Hmm. a terribly useful thing, but I find it really interesting, or maybe I'm completely nuts. Maybe. (laughs) And then he goes on to give a a blog post. And so let me call... I actually shrinksterized the blog post. You can take a look at this. His his blog is called An Original Idea, and you can see it at shrinkster.com slash THB, so Tango Hotel Bravo. And that'll take you to Julian's blog. And what he's got in that blog post is some converter code to take your your WinForm and turn it into XAML. Oh, from a WinForm to XAML. From a WinForm to XAML. Now, I mean, your mileage may vary. No guarantees. It was just sort of an experiment. But it's an interesting idea that you could serialize out uh, a WinForm into XAML code and then see what you can do with it. I thought he was talking about the end result would be a Windows form from XAML. But um, going back the other way is very useful. If you have an application you want to move and port to uh, WPF, that would probably be a good place to start. Well, and, and it gets to this thought. We've been talking about this when we talked about WPF before, that if we could actually migrate apps to start, right. even, even before we get into the whole design potential WPF. Right, even if it's just basic layout of controls and things. Exactly. And yeah. obviously, Julian thinking the same way. And uh, so I wanted to call it out, take a look at uh, shrinkster.com link, and uh, see what you think. See if it actually does what it's supposed to do. And thanks very much for sending that to us, Julian. Julian, I think you uh, deserve a hoodie or something. Yeah, we'll get something good to him. So uh, if you're interested in communicating with us, of course, it's .NET Rocks at franklins.net. And uh, it'll always get you a piece of swag. We always read every piece of email that we get. Some of them we read on the air. The uh, sleepless people at Infusion are taking their show on the road. It's the Sleepless Road Show, the ultimate office dev weekend, beginning January 12th, 2008. The deadline to apply is January 6th at 11.59 p.m. You can go to infusion.com slash sleepless. What it is is that you apply, and if you're chosen, you get to go to one of these local events in Atlanta, Dallas, Los Angeles, Silicon Valley, Chicago, and Washington, D.C., and what they're doing is they're going to offer some free SharePoint training from Microsoft's uh, product team members and SharePoint MVPs. They're going to have a mystery game show. There's going to be an overnight developer competition, hence the idea of sleepless. And for the winning team, an all-expense-paid trip to San Jose for the Microsoft Office System Developer Conference. If you think you got what it takes, then go to Infusion.com. You know, they're going to be giving away $100,000 in prizes. Um, at these events. And uh, yeah, SharePoint Office Development and Silverlight Training. It's going to be fantastic. So good luck with that. Infusion.com slash sleepless is the URL there. All right, let's introduce Jeff. Jeff Procise is co-founder of Wintelect at Wintelect.com, a developer consulting and education firm that provides services to companies all over the world. His most recent book, Programming Microsoft.net, 
was published by Microsoft Press in 2002, and his writings appear regularly in MSDN Magazine and other developer magazines. A reformed engineer who discovered after college that there's more to life than computing loads on mounting brackets, Jeff is known to go out of his way uh, to get wet in some of the world's best dive spots and to spend way too much time building and flying remote control aircraft. And uh, you didn't have the uh, the privilege to listen to the conversation that went on for 20 minutes before we started recording between Richard and, and Jeff, which was very cool, actually. And it's too bad it didn't have anything to do with .NET, because it would have made a great show. <laughs> Hi, Jeff. Hey, man. How you doing? I'm doing well, and also a drummer. Uh, yeah, not a very good one. Oh, come on. <laughs> you know, the... Um... There are a couple of things that I kind of gave up when I got heavily into RC aircraft. One of them was golf, and uh, the other was music. And I'm going to get back to it someday because I love music. Yeah, sure is nice. Well, and, and we we were going on about a RC planes because they do consume your life. You can get really deeply engaged in the, not only the the flying of them, but the building. Yeah, it takes a lot of time. A lot of time. It's a uh, but you know what? It's important to have a hobby, isn't it? And I think uh, in the line of work that uh, the three of us are in, um, it can be pretty intense. It can be yep. time-consuming. It can be immersive. And it's really, really important to have something outside of work to keep you sane, I think, whether it's golf or, you know, RC airplanes or hiking or something. And for me, the, uh, the RC aircraft is a thing that kind of keeps me sane. It's true. You, you dive down on one half of your brain all day, and you want to go the other half. <laughs> you want to exercise the other half, you know? Exactly. It's funny, right, we, we seem to have a theme with our, our guests lately about preserving sanity. Like yeah. There's something about what we do for a living that risks our sanity at any given moment. Yeah. Yeah, you know what? Um, this is kind of an insane way to make a living, isn't it? It so, is. Uh, yeah, because, uh, you know what? If, uh, if I were still an engineer, um, my life would be very different because... I would still be using the knowledge that I learned in college. And, you know, I'd have picked a few things up along the way and stuff, but over in the mechanical world and the aero world, I mean, you know, thermodynamics is still the same as it was 80 years ago. But um, in the industry that we're in, um, every four or five years, we kind of throw away everything we know and start all over again. Have you guys noticed that? Yeah, we changed the rules. Yeah, that's exactly right. Um, I mean, Richard I, and Carl, I don't know what you guys were doing 10 years ago, but uh, I was going around uh, teaching MFC and doing MFC consulting. Um, that was just 10 years ago. It seems like 100 years ago. Um, so, you know, people sometimes ask me, so, you know, wh- how, do I, how do I get into this industry? How do I get on the, the conference circuit, um, get started writing books and articles and, and things like that? Um, and I tell him, well, you know, it's not that hard to do that if that's really what you want to do. Um, especially writing books, you need to make sure it's what you want to do. But uh, the one word of advice that I have is that you've got to be prepared to, to start all over again because the technology changes so quickly. I mean, you know, uh, Silverlight's just the latest thing. Uh, that's why I'm spending my time now. This time last year, it was mostly ASP.NET AJAX, but... Uh, uh, certainly, you know, if you look back five to ten years, what we do is so different now than what it was then. And I don't know of any other profession that's like that, to be honest. Well, yeah, .NET was a total rewrite for the way we were going to work on the Microsoft platform. It yeah. really was, wasn't yeah. it? It's, uh, 
You know, it's been, it's been an interesting few years. Uh, I don't know if you guys ever try to go back and write C++ code anymore. Um, anymore? Me, uh, anymore. <laughs> yeah. It, 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 I never did that so much of it to begin you with. Know? Well, you know, I was doing I was doing VB6 development 10 years ago, and I was working on a on a project that was like a remote training kind of thing where it was the classic Windows app with with all the 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 data entry set up and, you know, wizards and all that stuff. And uh yeah, you're right. I mean, I I tried to follow some VB6 that uh that we were doing in, in DNR TV. Rob Windsor was actually doing a DNR TV showing how to how the Forms Interop Toolkit works. And uh, he pulled up VB6, and it's just like, you know, you create a function, and you say return. He's like, oh, yeah, you can't do that anymore. Just like there's so many little things that we're so used to now. That I think in 1997, I was debugging DCOM communication <laughs> for manufacturing processes, I recall. Boy, that really sucked. Yeah, that's a blast from the past. You know, I used to go out and uh, um, help companies out with com. I would teach classes and do com consulting and stuff. And you know what? I always felt kind of slimy when I left that customer's site after teaching them com because I knew that in order to build a, a real system that really worked, they were probably going to have to call me back or call somebody else uh, and get some help because things like com threading, uh, oh, yeah. com security, Everybody missed that. No one could get that right. And a lot of it was because it wasn't documented. It wasn't that hard. Um, the body of knowledge uh, just wasn't out there in the public. It wasn't that strong. Yeah, yeah it was very tough work and, and very challenging to do right. And it was a long way removed from the actual domain issues of the time. Whatever the company wanted to do, they were fighting with stuff that was a long way away from what was really important. Yeah. And you know what? Looking back, too, um, there's no way 10 years ago I could have looked in a crystal ball and told you what I would be doing today or what the technology would look like or what technology we would be working with. Um, it's kind of interesting. I mean, we, we go with the flow. But uh, uh, the one thing I, I, I will say is I think uh, uh, technology has been getting better and better. You know, when we went yeah. to .NET, I think almost everyone who, who um, works uh, with that platform would agree that it was a big step forward. And then with ASP.NET and ASP.NET AJAX and Silverlight, uh, it just keeps getting better and better. And if you're a web developer, and there's never been a better time to I do agree. what you do. I totally agree. Yep. But, you know, the, and the other thing I've been conscious of, uh, and I think you see this in the shows we've done over the past few months, is I'm blown away by how tolerant the .NET framework and this whole development architecture is to change to its ability to adopt to new languages. And I'm looking at F-sharp to look at stuff like Link. Nobody predicted anything like Link in 2001, and yet it's gonna, it incorporates nicely into the same environment. And the same thing as Silverlight, totally unexpected direction. And yet we're still able to work with the tools we've got. You're right. I mean, who would have thunk that, that the CLR would be running in a browser? I mean, yep. literally packaged in a, in a browser plugin. On the Mac! The, <laughs> <laughs> or on the Mac, you're exactly right. Or, or on Linux, I mean... Uh, uh, I know with the Mono project, it's been over there for a while. I've never actually, you know, physically seen it run on Linux, but but I'm told it does. Um, but here with the Moonlight project, um, we're going to be able to uh, do some of the cool Silverlight stuff that we do on Windows and the Mac over on Linux. Yeah, that's magic. So they, I guess the question is: Is it really? Do you think Silverlight's that radical a shift? 
I think it's more than radical. Yeah, I do too. Um, I really do. You know what? Um, when you look when you look at what web developers do, spend their day doing, spend their weeks and months doing, um, they're working with technologies like HTML that were never designed to do what we ask it to do today. They try to make up for the deficiencies of HTML um, as a presentation medium with JavaScript and with Ajax and stuff, but still, you know, we end up spending 20% uh, or 80% of our time on a project uh, doing that 20% that is trying to meet users' expectations, getting a drop-down list to work in a, in a browser the same way it does um, in a Windows app or something like that. So when you look at Silverlight, um, you know, when I, big picture to me, it's bye-bye HTML and hello vector graphics, hello XAML. And with Silverlight 2.0, we can finally get away from, from JavaScript as well and write managed code. And, you know, I, I say a lot of bad things about JavaScript uh, uh, sometimes, but uh, it's not that I don't like the language. It's that um, it's always been hard to debug. Now, that's gotten, it got better with Visual Studio 2005 and is even better with 2008. But um, the other thing that really gets me is, um, um, unless you fake the language out, you can't build classes, you can't do inheritance and things like that. Yeah. So for building anything uh, of, of enterprise quality or even close to it, you know, JavaScript's just not the way to go. But in the, uh, for the last several years, we've had no choice. Now we have a choice. Jeff, what do you think the killer app for Silverlight's going to be? Oh, boy, that's a great question. Um, I honestly can't think of one. I mean, I can think of media players and embedded media players and things like that, but I... I honestly am, I mean, maybe maybe I'm just running out of ideas, which happens from time to time, but I honestly can't think of one. Yeah, you know, maybe our thinking is too slotted because we've been working in the web world. Uh, I don't know. You know, I do know um, when you look at the Silverlight 1.0 samples that are out there right now, I'd like you go to the gallery on the uh, Silverlight website, you see lots of uh, media element stuff, streaming video and streaming audio and things like that. Um, to the point that uh, I've been asked a number of times, hey, is Silverlight 1.0 just about playing videos? Well, it's not. It, it, it's so much more than that. But, but I don't think we've seen anything that's even close to the killer app yet. Maybe it's a game. I mean, um, you know, Silverlight right now does not uh, take advantage of any uh, um, hardware acceleration. Um, that's something that could change in the future. You never know what Microsoft uh, might have up their sleeve. But you know, can you imagine bringing up your favorite Xbox game, running it in a browser uh, on your laptop or on your desktop machine? Uh, maybe that's it. But I have a feeling that uh, it's something that that we really have no way uh, of, of of predicting right now. What do you think, Richard? And I, I wonder if it isn't just going to be an a line of business app, just a better, richer. You know, your whole line of discussion about we spend most of our time in web development trying to make the combo box work the same way. It's really, we're trying to bring smart clients to the web client, and uh, Silverlight's actually going to do that. Right. So, hmm. so this idea of a zero-deployment app, a real zero-deployment app, that's naturally remote, it doesn't matter where I am, it just works, it doesn't matter what machine I'm on, it just works, but then gives us that really rich experience that we you know expect now, with with all of our applications, I think that, that that's the the big mix. I just wonder why why this one's going to succeed, because I seem to recall us embedding ActiveX controls yep. that were whole 
you know, VB apps. And then that right? documents and even Java applets. I yeah. Mean, none oh. of them really, really worked. How is this time different? That's a, that's a great question. Well, I, I tell you what. Um, first off, you guys know that I can't be unbiased about this because uh, um, I work with these technologies like you do, and I want to see them succeed. Right. Um, but but from, from my admittedly biased perspective, um, whether it's Silverlight or a competing technology, um, it's something is eventually going to work because we are way past the time when we should be um, munging HTML and JavaScript to try to bend it and shape it to work the way we want to. You know, I look at uh, Silverlight, um, I think, as a solution. It's very elegant. Uh, it's well-architected. But, but more importantly, um, it, it fills a real need. You know, the, a friend told me years and years ago, um, he said, you know why some software products fail and, and uh, some don't? I said, no, why? He said, when you look, the software products that succeed um, solve the problem. They fulfill the need that users have. Uh, and so many of the products that got out there and failed, in the end of the day, they just weren't really solving a problem that real people had. But as a web developer, uh, we do have real problems. HTML is a problem and JavaScript is a problem because um, they're, they're just too constraining. So we finally have something better. But, um, you know, it may not be Silverlight. Maybe it's something else. I think, uh, you know, Adobe's doing some cool stuff with, with um, uh, Flex and Flash and all that kind of stuff. Uh, if I had to, to, to look in a crystal ball and, and guess, uh, my guess would be five years from now, you'll see a lot of great Silverlight apps out there. Uh, you'll probably also see a lot of great apps that are running on, a, on non-Microsoft platforms as well. But, but I, think, I think the world is ready, and I think web developers are ready. And because Silverlight is a good solution to the problem that they're having, I think it's going to fly. I'm wondering how significant the the cross-platform abilities of Silverlight are going to play into this. The number of times I've heard someone who said, I jumped on Silverlight the moment they said Macintosh. Yeah. <laughs> uh, because, and it's not that this guy's a huge Mac fan by any stretch of imagination, but he's a developer with a problem. He's been told by his company, you need to roll that app out and it needs to work for the Macintosh customers too. You know, I I think the decision to make 1.0 sort of video-centric was brilliant because that is a killer app for that kind of technology. And that'll get people comfortable with downloading and installing Silverlight. And uh, I, th I think that was a brilliant move on Microsoft. You know, look at Netflix. You know, my kids, once we discovered live on-demand movies with Netflix and Silverlight, my kids don't want to watch DVDs. They just want to go on to Netflix and drag the browser over to the TV and maximize it and watch a movie. And it works great. But you know what? You're right. It probably wasn't a bad decision. I do think, though, that we need to get the message out that Silverlight Window is not just about video. I mean, it's about, it's about rich, compelling, immersive user interfaces, even ones that have nothing whatsoever to do with streaming audio. And I think it sort of requires a different way of thinking. I've been going out a lot and um, showing uh, Silverlight to, to Microsoft customers and speaking at conferences and stuff like like you guys have. And uh, um, one thing that's really become apparent to me is that if I if I still think the old way, if I think HTML and I think JavaScript, um, I'm shortchanging Silverlight. It's just like 
you know, so we don't call them UIs anymore, right? We call them UX. Yeah. That's the sexy new term. Right. Um, just finding someone who can design a sexy UX um, is difficult because there aren't that many people familiar with the expression tools yet. Right. And UX is is new enough that um, most of your traditional uh, web designers um, are still designing the same way that they used to. So, um, yeah, I I kind of think that if you can change your way of thinking uh, and you can remember that it's, you know, more than just about video and kind of wrap your arms around the possibilities, um, then you can come up with some really cool stuff and maybe you can come up with that killer application. You know, it seems to me the key to all of this is WPF. I mean, we talk about XAML so casually, but how many XAML apps have actually been shipped? It, it That is sort of the lint, Silverlight's betting on XAML. That whole development side of this is about making WPF actually work. And irrespective of adding the web component into it, there's just not a lot of WPF action yet. Well, there will be. I mean, you, you can see. I mean, anyone with just a little bit of vision can see that that's going to that's gonna take off in a big way. XAML is just so obvious a solution to the big problem, right? You bring up an interesting point with WPF. Um, um, and I've heard people at Microsoft um, in public say, you know, we've been a little bit disappointed with the acceptance of WPF. Um, so let me turn that around on you a bit. I think it's going to be Silverlight that is going to make WPF a factor ah. because Silverlight, it, it, it's about XAML. You're right. I don't think I don't think devs care about that. What they care about is, wow, I can build really great web apps this way. But if Silverlight reaches critical mass, people learn this thing called XAML, learn the tools, the expression tools, hey, maybe all of a sudden they start getting interested in WPF as well. I don't think expression is the tool that's going to make WPF succeed. I think it's a complete set of Microsoft controls in Studio 2008 or 2010 that happened to also write in XAML. Until I'm drag and dropping and building the forms the way I always have and it happens to reproduce XAML, yeah. I don't think you're going to get general acceptance. Yeah. I don't know. I'm I'm looking forward to the the time that I spend with expression with Blend. You know, it's a little bit different, but I kind of I'm up for the challenge. I kind of like that. One thing about working in expression when when you're a developer, it's uh that sort of forces you to, to change your way of thinking a little bit, doesn't it? Because you need to think more like a designer and less like a coder. I do that anyway, though. I mean, I design graphics, and I'm, you know, I'm I'm hip with Photoshop and all that stuff. So, you know, I've always sort of had one foot in that camp. Yeah. Just you and Scott Stanfield, apparently, though, because I'm baffled. It's just not my... And I have a daughter who's great with Photoshop, and I think she'd think nothing of using expression, Yeah. although I hear conflicting reports on that, too. But it's over my head. I have no artistic talent of any form, and this is just not something I get. Hmm. You know, I'm, I'm not much of an artist either. Uh, um, I do use uh, expression design and expression blend. I don't feel at home in, in them yet like I do in Visual Studio, and I'm wondering if I ever will since since... You know, I am a coder uh, and not an artist, but, uh, you know, I do think that one of the things that's really, really critical for Silverlight is that designers, um, the artsy people, um, get into expression, like what they see there, and get passionate about it. Because, you know, face it, we're not going to code these, code these beautiful UXs by typing XAML into Visual Studio 2008. Right. That's not how it's going to happen. So w- what is it I can do with Silverlight 1.0 in term- that isn't video? What-, what parts of XAML work? 
Well, uh, you know what? That's a that's a fair question, especially since I said it's more it's about more than video, right? Right. So, uh, at a high level, I think uh, uh, the animation and uh, transformations work very well in Silverlight One O. I mean, we all know that Silverlight One O supports a pretty limited subset of XAML, right? Uh, and that a lot of that the story is going to get a lot better with data binding and styles uh, and all that kind of stuff in Silverlight Two O. But uh, I'll give you an example. I was out. Uh, in Houston yesterday at a um, an airline um, that was interested in Silverlight. I thought, well, you know, I better whip up some kind of demo that would kind of speak to them. So I built this little sample page with their corporate uh, banner at the top and with a map of the USA on it, and I built this little route planner where you could click buttons and um, see the different routes different airlines would take to, to different cities. So, you know, in terms of, of grabbing the user, I used a lot of animations, literally just to animate the endpoints of lines, to have these little routes kind of sprouting out from cities and going around and stuff. It took all of about an hour to put the thing together. And at the end, you know, there was no video, there was no audio. But I looked at that and I said, man, this would have been a pain to build if I hadn't had Silverlight. In fact, it would have been next to impossible. So... I think anything that involves movement, that involves motion, um, you know, whether you're you're bouncing a ball around the screen or, or you're rotating a media element, um, anything like that, I think Silverlight is very good at. And also anything that um, that can take advantage or that can benefit from from vector graphics. I mean, to me, one of the most frustrating limitations of building browser-based apps has always been that I can't paint directly into that browser window. Um, what I can do is submit an HTTP request to a web server to go grab an image, and it can be a dynamically generated image. Right. But at the end of the day, it's like you know, getting a, a graphic to appear in a web page is like walking out your front door, uh, you know, walking down to the grocery store and back, walking across town and stuff, coming back in your back door just to get the other end of your house. Now with Silverlight, we finally have control. We can draw into that browser window, and, and that's huge. I, I love your concept here, Jeff, of the, the applet, and I bet you the guys went nuts for it. But So how did you put in the data? Like, How did the form work? For the uh, airline thing? Yeah. So there was no form. Um, so this was just a demo, not a, not a real app, remember? Right. Um, so what, what I would have done had I actually had form input, um, had I allowed you to choose cities and things like that, I would have used probably HTML for that part of it because... You know, drop-down lists and things like that are still fine in HTML. Right. Or if I develop this thing further, maybe I do something more UX-like. Um, or I know that's a little bit abstract, but maybe maybe you have uh, uh, some kind of rotating carousel that you pick a city from, or, or or something like that. And that's the kind of thing Silverlight is good at. You know, if you want to do traditional web forms where users type their name and address and stuff. Silverlight probably isn't going to help you there. In fact, you're going to be building your own controls and stuff in version one. But if you can think out of the box and you can think, now what would be a really cool way to pick uh, the cities that I'm flying from and to and come up with a visual way of doing that, then wow, Silverlight is going to shine. Yeah, I think by far clicking on the map makes the most sense. The fact that it would then show you the route provides you the value. But I guess we're getting to the real issue here, which is that there still isn't the control suites that we're used to 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 make our normal or our common UIs work in Silverlight, yeah. and then add in the the decorators that extended capability that Silverlight really offers us. 
Well, you know, instead of complaining about there's that it's not available yet or or just pointing it out all the time, let's talk about what we'd like to see. I mean, what what would you how would you like that experience to be? Um stand Jeff, the like the standard Visual Studio experience, do you want to just you know, like building a wind form, do you want to just put controls on a form and move things around? Is in, is that how you want to build uh, Silverlight apps? You know, I'm not sure it's the way I want to build them. I think, well, let me tell you guys a story here. Um, back when I was in college, uh, um, all freshmen had to take a year of, of English. Uh, and it was a big state school, University of Tennessee, so that freshman English was one of the classes that they used to weed everybody out. So it was pretty tough, even if, if you enjoyed English. One of the... Uh, the things that uh, that I hated the most but turned out to be one of my best life experiences was in that freshman English class. Um, we had to write a paper every week. Um, and one Monday morning, our, our professor came in and she said, we're going to do something a little different with this paper this week. Um, when you write the paper, you can't use any form of the verb to be. Hmm. And for every instance of that verb I find in your paper, I'll take, down, I'll take off one letter grade. Wow. Yeah, so um, I failed. So did every other person in the class. I didn't take her quite seriously enough. I had five instances. It had to be prose? Couldn't be poetry? Because poetry, you could get away with it. Exactly. It was prose. It, w- it was an essay, like a book review or something oh like God. that. But, uh, you know, you can't use is. You was, are. Yeah. When you try that, and you guys are writers, man, it is amazingly hard. But you know what? I came away from that. I had to think about every sentence. I had to think about how to shape that sentence differently. Yeah. And it made me a better writer because when you look at some magazine articles, for example, you see lots of is's and was, and, you know, there is a new feature in Silverlight. There are better ways, better ways to form prose. Now, the reason I'm boring you with this is going back to that airline sample there, if um, I, would, I would submit to you that, that picking a city from a drop-down list it's kind of like writing a paper with all those instances of to be in it. So the challenge would be to think about what is a more visual way. And I like what Richard said. You should click that city on a map. One thing you could do there with Silverlight that'd be cool is as you cursor around the map, you could have a little magnifying glass. You can zero in on the cities, stuff like that. Yeah, why not pick them from a map? Why not get rid of uh, the verb to be in our web application? Hmm. Hmm. Well, you know, what what struck me when you were telling that story is, and then that's classic decomposition and paying attention to detail is a natural result of that. And, it, you know, it happens in music when you're studying something and you're trying to technically nail a, a riff or something like that. And it happens when you write, when you write code, too. You know, you you can mindlessly write code or you could think about every key, you know. And um, so so that's that's a good exercise. And I think that's probably goes a long way to explain, you know, why why there's so many uh, really good C programmers because they're, you know, they come from this forced syntax where it's like, you know, so meticulous and the, the IDE never did all that great stuff for them. So they're, they're sort of forced to decompose and to pay attention to detail. Yeah. It just makes better programmers. And I think, too, with, uh, with Silverlight, uh, developers are more dependent than ever upon designers because... You know, back in the days when I used to write Windows apps, um, I'd pop up the dialogue editor, build a little UI, and, you know, it looked like every other Windows app, no better, no worse. When I started doing uh, web stuff, I discovered that it would be really cool to have somebody 
who really knew what they were doing in web design to build uh, UIs for me, even for little samples that I give away. And I found out I wasn't very good at that. But with Silverlight, it all starts with the UI design. Um, some of the projects that we, we've been working on at Winelect, um, the Silverlight projects, the greatest difficulty we've had is finding designers who can think out of the box and build uh, space-age UIs for us. Uh, and what we've been doing for the most part is working with designers who have spent the last 10 or 15 years doing web design. Uh, most of them, at least in our experience, haven't been willing to, to look hard at expressions. So, you know, they give us a bunch of PSD files, and we'll spend the first 20 or 25% of the project uh, trying to replicate what they've done in uh, Blend um, and hand-coded XAML. And I found out the hard way that Blend doesn't do a great job of importing PSD files. But, uh, you know, we're more dependent than ever on designers. And I think the success of Silverlight and of WPF depends on there being not, a, not only a lot of passionate coders, but a lot of passionate artsy folks as well. And I don't think that critical mass is there yet. I don't think we're close to it on the design side. Hey, this is Carl. I just want to take a minute out of the show to tell you about Telerix Q2 2000 Tools Update, which can be summed up this way. Blazing fast performance for ASP.NET, WPF-like visual effects for Windows Forms, and codeless reporting. The AJAX-based content editor is now 76% faster and much more intuitive. The grid also received a performance boost, plus PDF export, frozen columns, and they've even added a new awesome scheduling component. What I find even more intriguing is Telerik's Windows Form Suite. It's unbelievable that it offers WPF-like visual effects like scaling, rotation, object motion, transparencies, and so on without WPF. As a result, you could have grids, tree views, ribbons, and more with a previously impossible level of interactivity and appeal. Telerik has recently added cab support, which makes the component set a perfect fit for large enterprise applications. Lastly, with Telerik reporting, you can create advanced business reports in Windows, Web, or PDF format using pretty much design time only. Wizards, expression builders, and converters help you with the design, styling, and integration. You'll also be amazed to see some unique features, like CSS-like styling and conditional formatting. See what all the fuss is about. Download a trial at Telerik.com, and don't forget to thank them for sponsoring .NET Rocks. You know, it seems like we're a long way away from where we were when Microsoft published the guidelines for good app design. You know, the help button is here, and you always have a file menu, and, I mean, we've lost that. We've gone, we've gone so far away from that where it's all open again. And maybe it's, maybe it's a good thing that we lost it, because think how constraining that is. I mean, when you look at, at some of the, the real live uh, Silverlight apps out there these days, you know, some of them are, are crummy, but there are a lot of really, really cool uh, UI designs, and, you know, we, I think we need to... We need to be working on, on on breaking down the sides of the box. Those UI guidelines made it easy for designers to do th- or for developers to do things, but I'm not even sure that they 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 play in a silverlight world. I don't know. Well, I'm just trying to figure out what changed. There used to be a time where it was very important to us and to Microsoft 
to to have a very consistent UI. Hmm. And it seems like that's just not that important anymore. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, UIs are a lot more freeform today than they used to be, aren't they? You're right. Is it just an education level of our audience that, that our average user now is comfortable with a mouse, is comfortable with the form, and, and, the, and they are, they're able to deal with the, these changes? Or are we just fooling ourselves? Hmm. I, I think that, uh, I think it's the web. I think the web changed expectations. Um, you know, for, for years, you've seen uh, UIs in websites that right. look nothing like the UIs we used to build in Windows. And users grow accustomed to them. They like them. They like the simplicity. I mean, one of the things you see now is a lot of Windows apps that when they come up, they almost look like they have an HTML UI. Right. It's almost like a little game to try to figure out the UI before you use a website. You know, oh, let's check out and see how they did it, right? Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. I think expectations are different. Users have been conditioned to to, to think that, that artsy and, and pretty is good. And, and Silverlight is kind of taking that to, to, to the next extreme. You know, that may be one of the reasons that folks uh, haven't, uh, or that we haven't seen a lot of energy around WPF. You know, it's not enough to have developers. You've got to have people building these cool, uh, compelling UIs that make users say, wow, this is cool. I've got to try it out. But I also think that this is a this is not something the users are demanding. That when they see it, they will love it. But until they see it, they don't care. Yeah. So it's going to take. What's going to drive this forward is somebody else's success. Is somebody else being brave enough to just go out there and do something amazing, have huge success with it, and that will ultimately pull it forward. That it's the pursuit of the the true pioneer. Yeah. That'll ultimately move this on. Yeah, I would agree, and I, I think we're more likely to see that kind of app with Silverlight 2.0 than 1.0. I mean, Silverlight 1.0 is amazing just from the standpoint of someone who has been frustrated by years by the limitations of HTML and JavaScript, but at the end of the day, in 1.0, I'm still bound with JavaScript, and I'm not going to write an app with 100,000 lines of code in JavaScript, but with 2.0, um, you know, you can build apps of incredible complexity, uh, especially... Given some of the things that Microsoft announced two weeks ago about 2.0, they didn't provide a lot of details, but they did tell us they're going to give us an application framework, which is kind of interesting, don't you think? An application framework for a browser. Yeah, what does that really mean? I thought the browser was an application framework. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I don't know what application framework means there. When I think of application framework, I think of MFC because that's where my heritage is. Right. But... Uh, who knows? Yeah, what would an MFC for the browser look like? Oh, gosh. You know, boy, I don't think that would be very pretty. No, um, but and, and I think, don't we already have one? Isn't that the DOM? Well, yeah, yeah. You know, it's kind of interesting, thinking about the application framework. One of the things that MFC's application framework did was simplify document handling or, or the, the building of document handling applications. And that won't really fly here because... Uh, in Silverlight 1.0, you, and even in 2.0, you can't build a traditional document handling application because uh, you can't just go out to the file system and grab a file in Silverlight. Yeah, you're still in the sandbox. You're still in the sandbox, exactly right. So, um, and are people going to be building you know multi-tier enterprise type applications with Silverlight? Maybe they will, but that scares me a little bit in a browser. Hmm. Yeah, I don't know either. Trying to envision a Silverlight app that doesn't have a web server behind it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, don't, I don't know that anybody's thinking about that. Somebody must be. 
but they're probably smarter than me. Well, a game, I mean, a, a game can be self-contained, certainly. Yeah. You know, something that'll, you know, a Sudoku game or something, self-contained. I think the bust-out app, the one that will make Silverlight totally go nuts, actually, is going to be a line of business app. You think so, huh? I absolutely do. A, there's so much more work going on in that area, but that's recognizing that the thing that will make Silverlight break out is everybody else looking going, I got to have that. It'll be a line of business app that every CIO in the world is going to go to their developers and go, you guys suck unless you can do this. <laughs> I'm not so sure. I'm not so sure, Richard. I, I, I tend to think it'd be something more along the lines of, you know, Google Maps or some sort of web thing. I think that app is easier. I just think that app can be excused. Yeah, well, not necessarily that app. Right? As long as I can point to and go, that's a, that's an exception case. Not not that app, but something on the web, something that's pop- that gets popular, I think. I don't know. I just think that, that the real breakout is going to be when it's an app that could have been done with a perfectly ordinary WinForms implementation, and it's actually better in Silverlight. Well, I think WPF, maybe, but... Uh... I don't know. I think Silverlight's going to make it splash in the public. But I mean, I'm, and I'm going to jump into Jeff's whole thought on what about an enterprise app with Silverlight? Because it is just a client piece. Obviously, I'm going to keep my business components on my servers. I'm going to be making web service calls to them. Data is where it's always been. What's wrong with this? Uh, well, nothing really. As long as uh, you know, today Silverlight is primarily a, uh, a technology for the UI layer, right? Right. Uh, it's about vector graphics and streaming audio and streaming uh, video and things like that. That will change some with uh, 2.0 because uh, whereas 1.0 has a very, very rudimentary networking stack, which consists basically of just a downloader object, which sits on top of the browser's XML HTTP request stack, Silverlight 2.0 is going to have a much richer and more robust networking stack. So there's absolutely no reason I couldn't build apps that go back to that server a web server whenever they want uh, to get data, to push data, or, or something like that. We could build components that live on that server there. The thing that mystifies me right now about an application framework is, you know, when I think about a multi-tier, a classic multi-tier application with data components, would I want those data components residing um, on the client in that browser? I don't think so. I, I think I would still envision them living on the server, and I would use Silverlight's networking stack to go talk to them but why would I need an application framework if all I'm really going to do in the browser is present the UI? And I think it's when when that doesn't perform well enough. You know, the whole reason to ever take data out of the database and cache it anywhere is to get it closer to the user. Yeah. So why wouldn't you go get a list of the cities and keep it on the browser? Well, you make a good point there. And, uh, you know, one thing that's missing in Silverlight 1.0 is really, any kind of caching API. Um, yeah. Yeah, you know, why not uh, reduce the load on your server? If you're going to you're gonna cache, maybe uh, you increase the capacity for caching if you do it there um, on the client. So, yeah, you may have something right there. I'd, you know, it's obvious, looking at 1.0, we're, we're really just seeing the first salvo, or we're seeing the tip of the iceberg. I think uh, with 2.0, um, even folks that haven't been interested in 1.0 are going to sit up and take notice. In fact, I've had... Um, a couple of companies who are strongly considering Silverlight tell me, uh, Jeff, just skip the 1.0 stuff. We don't care about 1.0. Um, it's 2.0 that we're really interested in. One of these companies uh, is a large, uh, well-known retailer, 
And uh, when they told me that, I said, so why, I mean, why no interest whatsoever in Silverlight 1.0? And their answer surprised me a bit. Their answer wasn't, oh, it's all about uh, audio and video. Um, they were smarter than that. They knew better. They said, because we already have millions of lines of JavaScript at this company, and we don't want to write another million lines. The code is too hard to maintain. Ooh, right. We already know the pain. Yeah. Yeah. So if you, you if, unless you're talking to us about a JavaScript-free solution, we don't want to talk. Hmm. Exactly. Exactly right. So, you know, Silverlight was good. I, Silverlight 1.0 was good, I think, for getting something out there. It certainly solves some problems and, and solves them very well. And, and because a lot of people do tend to think it's mostly about media right now, um, I think they're people are going to discover that there are some problems that can solve really well that, that they're not aware of right now. But 2.0 is the sweet spot. And it's kind of interesting, too, that um, you know Microsoft, uh, as you know, decided to change the version number from 1.1 to 2.0. Right. Um, and they, they said that the reason they did that is when they really started looking at this, they realized that the changes were, were so substantial that um, they merited an upgrade in the major version number uh, up doing a minor rev in the version number would just would shortchange the platform, but one um, zero changes the game a bit. Two zero, I think, is going to change it a lot. Well, and it makes me think almost. Yeah, I think I thought one one was ridiculous. It was so dramatically different. I almost wonder if two point zero is enough. I wonder if they shouldn't change the product <laughs> name. It's, yeah, that's it's a good point. That's it's good totally point. different. It's not the same thing at all. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, I don't know. Well, it sort of is. It is. It's going to have the same features as one zero. Other than they both lived on the browser? Yeah. No, you're, well, I, I think you're a little cynical, Richard. <laughs> oh, I'm a lot cynical. <laughs> yeah. But you say that like it's a bad thing. <laughs> yeah, that's well, true. I, you know, I, there is a relationship between <laughs> them. I mean, um, what, what's the, the most notable thing about Silverlight 1.0? A XAML rendering engine, right? That runs right there in the browser. Right. Well, Silverlight 2.0 has that same XAML rendering engine, although greatly enhanced. Um, and it layers on top of that the CLR um, and a scaled-down version of the .NET Framework base class library. So I really don't look at them as being um, uh, different. I look at 2.0 as being uh, something that allows me to wrap managed code around all the things that I did in 1.0. And, oh, by the way, since Microsoft is going to throw a lot of classes at me, uh, managed code of their own, um, I'm going to be able to do a lot more than I could with one of Right. So how about this? How about this? Netflix now, right? You go, you click a movie, you get the player, it installs, you can pause, rewind, whatever. Well, now you can still have that player, but on top of that, you can, you know, do stuff, right? <laughs> you can do stuff on top of the movie. Uh, you know, go go find information about the movie, uh, whatever. Whatever it is. Yeah, yeah. Buy products, right? You know, click here to purchase. Yeah, that would be, you taking it to another level, would be product placement in a movie, synchronizing yeah. with, uh, you know, purchase opportunities. Right. Yeah. Or, uh, I mean, just the rating system could get so much more sophisticated. That click on the car to get an annoying call from a dealer. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I, I tend to, to think of things uh, at, at a lower level, and... Uh, I'll tell you an example that I share with uh, conference audiences and classes sometimes. So you're coding in Silverlight 1.0, and you decide that you need a hash table. I mean, who in their right mind is going to code a hash table in JavaScript? You know, at best, you're going to go out, uh, do a Google or live search, and find find some pre-existing code to do it. But you know what? In the Silverlight 2.0 time frame, 
When I need that hash table, I'm just going to fire up an instance of system.collections.generic.dictionary. And I think the fact that we'll have so much more infrastructure available to us at that low level in Silverlight 2.0 is going to bubble up so that we see a lot more functionality, a lot more capability um, up at the top as well. You know, it's occurring to me, I know why there's an application framework. Yeah? Because they're getting rid of the DOM. You know, once you're running in the context of the CLR, now you're giving up the browser capabilities. Browser's now the the shell to the host Silverlight. So I need to replace all of that. Well, you, and you can also embed, right? So one of the one of the caveats that I have to the whole in the browser binaries is that you don't get the the ability to copy and paste text. You know what I mean? You don't have that sort of input output standard thing that you have with standard applications on the web. But you you certainly could make hybrid sites that have both, right? You have some dynamic text that has that feature, and then you have your Silverlight objects uh, or your Silverlight uh, main object and application embedded in it. So uh, it's doable. It's just going gonna, gonna to take some uh, time and experimentation, I think, to find out what works. Yeah. You know, one of, the, one of the things that I find really interesting now, um, in the 1.1 one, one, uh, alpha refresh is, is the DOM integration features. Um, the fact that I can now call a, a C-sharp method from JavaScript, or I can fire an event from a C-sharp uh, object uh, and process that event as if it were a DOM event uh, in JavaScript over there in that browser, that's pretty cool stuff. And... Um, you know, I, I follow what you're saying, Richard, about the application framework and about maybe they're kind of, uh, maybe you don't need the browser DOM anymore. It may be absolutely true. And yet it, it seems to me that they're, they're going to great pains to expose that browser DOM to you, at least in these early builds, in case you need it. Because, uh, I mean, face it, there are two kinds of Silverlight apps, right? There are Silverlight apps that own the entire page. Right. And there are Silverlight apps where the Silverlight control is just one part of that page and a little div. And in those cases, in many instances, it's going to have to be able to interact with that DOM around it. Right. But, all you, I mean, all you need is access to the DOM and off you go. Right. But if you're going to own the whole page, most of the DOM is about getting to the HTML, and the HTML doesn't exist. Uh, yep, you're exactly right. It's kind of interesting, too. When you look at the, um, um, the Silverlight gallery on the Silverlight website, Look at some of the really cool Silverlight apps that are out there now. Almost all of those have Silverlight owning that entire page. I, I, right. I haven't seen a lot of examples of Silverlight being used the way Flash is. You know, when I think of Flash, I think of a, a, a cute little ad running in a web page, something distracting me when I'm trying to do work. Haven't seen Silverlight used for that a lot yet, and I'm kind of glad about that. I think Silverlight is, is, is you know, breaking the mold a little bit because it's, it's giving us something that, that really is about writing self-contained apps that maybe don't need the browser DOM around them. And, and that'll be even more true once Silverlight has controls like TextBox, which Microsoft has already said is going to happen in 2.0. Yeah, you know, I can't argue with the power of just providing the standard set of controls. You know, I know we have this vision of developers cr- working with the designers to create the UX concepts, but until I have a standard set of controls... So at least I have a starting point with my existing app. At least I can bring my app across and then start migrating it into this different way of looking at it. I'm just not going to go. 
Yeah, and I wouldn't argue with you there. I mean, there are a lot of applications that just need to get uh, a name and an address from a user, right? And why why shut those applications out or why shut Silverlight out? Uh, with the controls, we could build those kinds of apps too, um, which, you know, uh, uh, again, is going to happen in Silverlight 2.0, which um, I, I think will be pretty important. Uh, if what's going to be interesting to me is to see how many people really use those controls. Now, I'm sure I'll use a button control, especially if it's like a, a WPF button control when I can make it look any way I want and I can stylize it, templatize it, and things like that. But uh, I still I just have this feeling that if there is a killer Silverlight application, it's going to be one that doesn't use any kinds of traditional controls, or if it does, it uses very few of them. It's going to be something very different. Um, I like Carl's example with Google Maps, and I'm just thinking, so if I were doing, if you were doing Google Maps today, or you were doing MapQuest today, um, imagine how much better it could be if you had Silverlight available to help you do that. Um, those sites do a lot now with Ajax, and they're one of the reasons that Ajax is so popular uh, and everybody's talking about it. But, wow, they could be so much better than they are right now. Well, and he, and he get back to the same core visualization of show me a map and show me where I, the distances I just picked, the what's next kind of thinking. You know, that that visualization for, for mapping is huge, yet the the core UI elements, in the end, I'm usually told, well, I, I have to go to Seattle. I know where I am. I just need to get to Seattle. So I could give you those two pieces of information. The rest is where things get complicated, like what are the nearest hotels? Where am I going to need to stop for gas? You know, all of those sorts of things get a lot more interesting when I have that visual component. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, you know, uh, as a follow-on to that, it, if 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 I have any one disappointment with Silverlight right now, it's that it doesn't support 3D. Um, it was 3D graphics that got me into computers many, many years ago. Hmm. Um, and I, I'm still fascinated by them. My favorite piece of software of all time is the Microsoft Flight Simulator because it just amazes me every time I run it. You can do 3D in Silverlight today, but you have to dummy it up. You have to do the trig yourself. And uh, then when you start doing things like hidden surface removal in software, it gets really ugly. Um, hmm. What would be really cool, and if I had one wish for Silverlight, it would be give me 3D, because then I think um, the final constraint will have been loosened. If I could do real 3D in a browser, wow. Now, Jeff, you don't just work with Silverlight. You work with WPF, too, obviously. You know what? I don't. My, my um, work with WPF as academic, I've never worked on a single real WPF project. Okay. So have you? did you look into it, and what was your impression? Oh, I love WPF. Um, I love the 3D aspects of it, especially the fact yeah. that you can, you know, take a, take a flat video or image and, and wrap it uh, around a, a contoured 3D surface. Uh, that kind of stuff just really turns my crank. Can we say that on this show? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you say it far worse, Mr. Franklin. <laughs> this is a... Uh, Family show, right? <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, as much as that's fun, how does that more effectively communicate information to my user? Well, you know what? I'm not sure that it does. I'll tell you what it does do, though. It engages that user. It makes them more likely to look and say, and then say, you know, I'm going to try this thing out. Um, I mean, what, what's the old marketing thing? It's all about 
Um, you sell first, a sizzle? Yeah, the, the first five seconds, right? If they come to your, your website, uh, they don't like what they see or something doesn't grab yep. them in five seconds, what do they do? They go somewhere else, right? Yep, that's right. So why not make your app so interesting to use that they're going to they're gonna commit the time it takes to understand it? Well, um, yeah, I'd ask the same question. Um, there's no reason not to. I mean, you know, in the past, if you wanted to build something incredibly engaging, it was more difficult to do because, uh, you know, frankly, uh, the UI guidelines didn't show you how to do it, and, and a Windows button or list box control isn't going to help you. But uh, uh, with WPF and, and with Silverlight to a, a somewhat lesser extent, we, we have the plumbing that we need to build those incredibly uh, engaging UIs. Yeah. I just I just hope we can actually start representing information we couldn't otherwise well represent. I, I keep thinking Tufty, you know, they like really taking hard things to understand and finally presenting them in a way that they're easy to understand because we had this tool suite, because we were able to do a much more complex representation. Yeah, and I think, you know, you guys, have, you've seen uh, demos of Microsoft Surface, I'm sure. Oh, yeah. Look, oh, yeah. I look at that and I think, wow, that's a different way of thinking. And that's, right. that's so different than what we used to do two, 10 years ago um, with MFC. Um, the thing is, it's hard to come up with stuff like that. The first time I saw Surface, I thought, wow, I wish I'd thought of that. And it seems so obvious. And you know what? It wasn't obvious to me until I saw somebody else do it. I've already trying to get a show on Surface for .NET Rocks. Just for the listeners, I'm working on it because I think, you know, the key things about it's as much as it's cool to make a coffee table, what Surface really brings out is this idea of uh, a horizontal working surface, which is different, rather than a vertical working su- surface, which we normally have, that the interface for the human is the same as the working surface. That's interesting. But also multiple simultaneous users. Yep. You know, those are all the, the sort of breakthrough elements. What kinds... That environment for sorting pictures is better than anything else I can imagine. Yes. That yeah. I could drop all my pictures on the screen. I could have three people working at the same time, sorting out uh, the pictures and even annotating them. Yeah. So maybe uh, maybe the next step here is to build the uh, triplex mouse, right? Um, <laughs> three mice cable yeah. together. They plug in the one mouse port or one USB port. No, you're right. You know, and what's interesting is gamers have had um, uh, multiplayer stuff for years, right? Right. They have. But it's not something that we really had, especially in the line of business apps. But but let me ask you this: Would it be useful to you to have you um, to have you and uh, your colleague working on a spreadsheet at the same time on the same surface? You know where you can actually do that is in OneNote. So if you've got, OneNote actually has this ability so that two people can be working actually more than two can be working on the same document at the same time. So I've done this in design meetings where you have your usual note taker, you know, the one person that can actually write as fast as people are talking, who's make doing the entry work on the big screen as we're collecting ideas. And But when it's his turn to talk, when he's got something to say, somebody else can step in and make his contributions. And you always have the one really smart guy in the back, but isn't real comfortable yelling out in the crowd. And to give him a machine where he can just add little bits, little thoughts along the way into one note, incredibly effective. But so the, I, I've seen collaborative opportunities here, and and Surface presents an interesting one. Uh, it's just a you know question of what is the thing you're trying to solve that makes the most sense. I don't think 
They're talking about that thing being ten thousand dollars. I don't think people are going to pay ten grand for a picture sorter. Jeff, um, <laughs> I'll tell you what my my wish is for multiple inputs, and that is, and I I expressed this to Microsoft a few years ago, was you know a different API, and I, they even have a multi-input API now. But imagine a mixing console, you know, a mixing console that's kind of long and it's into channels, you know, broken into channel strips, and each channel strips has faders and buttons and things. And when you're using these things, sometimes you have to grab three or four faders at a time and move them. I mean, you don't really anymore because you have automation, and now everybody does things digitally. But this was my thinking. And to be able to put your hands on three or four controls and simultaneously move them um, just like you would an analog surface was a really, really attractive idea to me at the time. Which really says we have to have touch screens, right? Because obviously you're not going to do that with two mice. Yeah. Yeah, I just think the movement towards the touch screen and Mm multi-touch, you know, a bunch of UI stuff suddenly makes more sense and ways we can do things. Yeah. So, you know, um, on a a related topic, um, one of the things that... um, Silverlight 2.0 is apparently going to support um, because it's there's support for it already in the uh, 1.1 Alpha refreshes is ink. And when I first saw that, I thought, hmm. Now, how would that be useful to me? Because probably I'm going to have to be running this browser-based app on a tablet PC. But you know what? The more I think about it, the more I think, wow, this could be really cool. Yeah, you're looking at the ingredients. I own a Slate-style tablet. Uh, motion computing one, which you can plug into a keyboard easy enough. You know, it comes with a keyboard. Yep. Just, but, yeah, and I always think the convertibles are the worst of ball worlds. I have a keyboard that half the time I don't need. But <laughs> the number of times the, that you want to use the slate as a slate in different locations. On the couch is the one that I find it a lot. But I also find it really great in meetings because you can put it down on the desk. Yep. Instead of having it up and blocking people, right. you have it down flat. Yeah. So the more scenarios where I can use ink to communicate, the happier I am. I love the tablet. I absolutely love it. I like it in the coffee shop. I like reading the paper in the morning. On the like you said, sitting in the chair reading the paper. Um, it's just, it's just great. Yeah. Well, you know, one other thing that really, really intrigued me about Silverlight too, um, and I was surprised when I first saw this. Looking, digging around in the namespaces in the uh, assemblies, by golly, there's system.threading. Did you ever think you'd be able to write highly concurrent, multi-threaded browser-based applications? Oh, that's wacky. I still don't think I can. <laughs> no, just because they put the library in doesn't mean I'm going to be able to use yeah, it. I know. Well, you know, the thing is I'm not sure to make the cut because one of the things that they have to think about hard, of course, in Silverlight is security. Think right. about it. How easy would it be to write a denial-of-service app that just you know, launches a few hundred threads and kind of slows that machine to a crawl. But but on the other hand, when it comes to writing games and stuff like that, um, threads would be very, very, very useful. In fact, you know, one one of the things that's a real limitation in the alpha refresh is that if you want a programmable game timer, typically you end up declaring an empty storyboard object, uh, setting its uh, duration, and then processing its completed events. Because even though in the 1.1 refresh you can spin up another thread, you can't marshal anything back from that thread to the UI thread. Now, they've already said that that will change. We will have that marshaling support. But, uh, 
you know, I'm kind of hoping that that feature does make the cut. Maybe there's some way to limit the number of threads or something so someone can't do a, a DOS type attack. Maybe, maybe, you know, maybe one app's limited to five or ten threads or something like that. Five but, would be enough. But, I'm, of course, I'm immediately going to line of business. The fact that I could fire off multiple simultaneous web service requests and populate that screen asynchronously, that's a great thing. Uh, it is, and you know what? I I, I agree with you. I think uh, the ability to spin up a thread is powerful when used correctly, and if there were a reasonable limit imposed on that, like 5 or 10, it would be fine, because you know what? Uh, there are apps out there. Outlook is one of them that spin up 50 or 60 threads. Uh, most of those apps have no business spinning up that many threads. They haven't yeah. been designed properly. With 5 or 10 threads, you could do some really, really cool stuff. Yeah, I totally agree. Well, Jeff, we're just about out of time, and uh, boy, it's been fun. I just like hanging out and talking about this stuff. This is my favorite thing to do. Uh, any last-minute uh, things you want to plug or talk about? Let me just thank you guys for uh, for having me on. It was cool talking to you. Um, it is a shame that the folks listening didn't get to hear the RC uh, jet discussion beforehand. That was cool as well. But, uh, <laughs> hey, I really do appreciate it, guys, and uh, I hope I see you uh, at an event here soon. I'll probably see you at Mix. I bet you guys will be there. Yeah, we probably will. Yeah, should be a really, really interesting mix this year. Yep. All right, Jeff, thanks a lot again. And we'll see you next time on .NET Rocks. .NET Rocks is recorded and produced by Pwop Productions, providing professional audio, audio mastering, video, post-production, and podcasting services. Online at www.pwop.com. .NET Rocks is a production of Franklin's Net, training developers to work smarter and offering custom on-site classes in Microsoft development technology with expert developers. Online at www.franklins.net. For more .NET Rocks episodes and to subscribe to the podcast feeds, go to our website at www.dotnetrocks.com. Got a transmitter band by the FCC.